Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another fantastic interview. And today we are talking all about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and developing a winning and sustainable approach to DEI with the foremost expert, at least as far as I know, about DEI, and that's Jennifer Brown. Uh, Jennifer is a speaker, a consultant. She's the founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting. Um, She's worked with organizations all over the world about diversity, equity, inclusion, and there's no one I know that knows more about this subject and gets consulted more by organizations. So I was happy to have her come on as a speaker on the Talent Development Virtual Summit that we hosted back in September of 2020. Uh, I loved all the insights that she shared, and I couldn't wait to share this with you on the podcast. So this will be yet another in our series of sharing interviews from the Talent Development Virtual Summit. We've got some new interviews coming to you soon, um, but I was excited to share this one with you, especially because in the past, I didn't always consider diversity, equity, and inclusion to be part of talent development. But after the death of George Floyd and the rise of the social justice movement in 2020, uh, it moved to the forefront in our minds in L&D and something that we are talking about often inside the talent development think tank community. And uh, so I was excited to have a full day dedicated to that on the Talent Development Virtual Summit and really excited to have Jennifer involved and share this interview with you. Now, in this interview, we talk about a lot of things, especially Uh, or included, uh, including how conversations have changed as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, We talk about mirroring and diversity from the external world to the inside, why diverse talent falls out of the pipeline, the importance of knowing who your ambassadors are in your organization, why women and people from other underrepresented groups don't move up the corporate ladder as fast as maybe people who look like me. Uh, We talk about the difference between diversity and inclusion, the mistake of thinking unconscious bias training will fix things, Um, and why training is not necessarily a strategy. This is going to be interesting for all of you out there in learning and development. We talk about the importance of public accountability, quick and bold action you can take, and just all kinds of stuff. This interview is full of value and action. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Before you do, I want to mention that, uh, of course, this is yet another interview from the Talent Development Virtual Summit we hosted 
All of our interviews are available inside the member vault of the talent development think tank membership community that I run. Not only do we have tons of great content in there, we run a live call every Wednesday on Zoom. And uh, we have been having quite a few discussions lately about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we've had some great guest speakers in our community talk about DEI, like Kay Fabella and Nicole DaCosta, who have both been on this podcast. We'll probably get Jennifer in there soon. Uh, and I expect it's an ongoing discussion we're going to keep having. So if this is a topic that is important to you, uh, come on and join us. Check out our website, tdtt.us. If you have any questions, you can scroll down on that website. There's a link to book a 15-minute call with me, and uh, you can we can get on Zoom. You can ask me any questions you want about the community, see if it's a good fit, uh, whether you're in L&D or DEI or both, uh, and figure out if it's going to be valuable for you. Uh, so again, that website is tdtt.us. I'm also, as I mentioned last week, starting to host more rooms on Clubhouse about the topic of talent development. And I recently scheduled a room with Jennifer on Clubhouse for March 4th to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and building inclusive cultures. So if you're on Clubhouse, make sure you follow me, go follow Jennifer, and come join our discussion, uh, which I believe is happening on March 4th at 4 p.m. Eastern time. All right. Now, without further ado, here is my interview with Jennifer Brown, all about building inclusive cultures and a winning and sustainable approach to DEI. Enjoy. DEI has never been more important than it is today. We are witnessing a massive social justice movement and almost every company I talk to is trying to figure out how to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive culture. If you are looking to do those things as well, you are in the right place. Hi, my name is Andy Storch, your Summit host, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next legendary Summit speaker, Jennifer Brown is the founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, which is focused on unleashing the power of human potential, embracing diversity, and helping people and organizations thrive. Jennifer is also an award-winning entrepreneur and a regular speaker on DEI. Jennifer is the author of two books, including Inclusion and How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating, creative, creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. Jennifer, welcome to the summit and thanks for being here. Andy, thank you so much. I'm happy to have this conversation. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm really excited too. You are uh, such a well-known, uh, respected and admired consultant, speaker, author in this DEI space. And uh, I know you've been around DEI for quite some time, fighting the good fight. Uh, DEI has probably never been hotter than it is right now. Um, I'm wondering if you could start with giving us kind of an overview on you know, where were we going into 2020 and how have things changed in 2020 as a result of things like COVID and of course, the social justice movement? Yeah, we were in a very different place indeed. Um, a lot of us in the field have been frustrated with the, the pace and the, and the appetite for change, right? The appetite for commitment to DEI and, and we would spend a lot of our time arguing the business case and being asked for the business case, which is the why. Why does this matter? Why should I make it a priority? Why should I spend money on it and make time for it and make it a organizational um, you know, important priority. And, and it was just a lot of, I think, wasted time because there's so much data that shows why it's important. Customers, talent re retention, talent acquisition, product, I mean, innovation, the list goes on and on. So, um, but, but the pandemic did an interesting thing. I think, first of all, it grounded all of us at home. It slowed everything down. It, um, it actually paradoxically, I think, connected us in a, in a more, some of us in a more deep way uh, because because we couldn't hide our personal lives that were going on behind us. And so a lot of us, I think, got to this level of authenticity and, and being seen and 
heard differently by each other. Um, and we really, you know, the, the, remember back in Feb, March and April, like the big conversation of course was how do I build trust with people, you know, through the screen, like how do I inquire about how people are, you know, how's mental health, like how are parents coping, right? That was the, that was the thing. And then connected as this against this common enemy that as we were building solidarity and also learning how the pandemic was impacting different communities of identity differently, right? So the inequity of that really, I think, was um, the best way I could possibly imagine to explain the, the concept of equity or inequity, right? Which is differential outcomes based on socioeconomic and political realities. And so much of America, I think, was not aware that that would be the case. And so then we go in and see the murder of George Floyd on our screens from this place and this, this emotional place and this connected place, I'd say. Um, and I think it just literally like something changed and lots of people started to see themselves in the fight. Um, and companies then responded. I'm not sure I would say companies led on this, but they certainly felt a whole lot of pressure from employees to say, hey, let's talk about things that we've never really talked about before. Like, let's name them. Let's, let's put them on the table. Let's um, like, you know, we have a, a culture that has problems and it's never really been owned you know, honestly before. And, uh, and our society has problems and our workplaces, which are microcosms of society, have the same issues, right? Just, you know, in a different framework. So yes, yeah, so we are in a summer now where this is the more of a priority than I've ever seen in 13 years of being in the space, um, not having to argue for the importance anymore, not having to debate the appetite. Really, it's um, just steering clients around, oh my goodness, I'm in a panic. What do I do? I need to do something. It's if we can get there fast enough and say, okay, hold on, don't put everybody through unconscious bias training, or don't do that Black Lives Matter post without having done the work internally, right? And, and like balancing all of that and trying to help companies say, okay, good, you're ready to do the work. Let's talk about what that looks like, not just in the short term, because you've got to make sure you're walking the talk. Otherwise, none of this is going to matter. Um, and that's so that we've been sort of pulling the reins a bit and redirecting and um, to what we know are the right answers, right? Which is sustained work on equity issues in the organization, which are leading to disparate impacts and experience for so many of us in the workplace. So many of us that aren't straight white men, frankly, yeah. because that was who built the workplace. So a lot of us have been laboring in the system that wasn't built by and for us. And I've known that for a long time. I've fed that, I've given that feedback to decision makers, but somehow I guess the light bulb finally has gone on off this summer for people and thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, the light bulb is going off in a, in a big way. And I wonder if you can explain that, that um, what you mean a little bit more. And I've heard this before that the workplace was essentially created by and for straight white men. Uh, but now I don't know what the percentage is, but obviously it's a high percentage of people that don't fit that, that are working in the workplace. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it's still probably dominated by straight white men if you just look at the top. Mm. So when you look at organizations, you've got to bear in mind the hierarchy. It, I mean, they look like a triangle most of the time. You've got the leadership and then you've got this massive group of people at the bottom of the triangle and bottom half. That bottom half is tremendously diverse in both visible and invisible ways. Very intersectional, tends to be early in career, right, which is a generation that very much embraces all of who they are in a different way than my generation, which was Gen X and certainly baby boomers did. 
And so they are sort of pushing the organization for accountability and conversations that matter and, you know, honest evaluation of processes and policies. And do you mean what you say? And, you know, do I want to work here? Do my values align? You know, all those really amazing good questions that have deserved to be asked for a long time. Um, but then they sort of leadership teams, the ones I get to work with, often don't reflect that workforce. And they also don't reflect the um, diversifying world of customers and clients that we do business in which is a problem because for so many reasons, it's, it's an optics problem. Uh, and there's also an accountability starting to happen between companies, one company, company A saying to company B, you know, we know we've worked with you for 20 years, but you know, you've got a real challenge. You know, you're, this is what your leadership team looks like. What are you doing about that? We don't want to be spending money with a company that looks like that. And so there's pressure coming from sort of strategic partners and customers and clients in an ecosystem. There's, um, Again, the sort of the not the the lack of mirroring of the diversity of the external world on the inside, and um, so more and more, I think that uh, if your masthead looks like that, there's a real challenge, and you can't just fix that in a day. I mean, the problem has been occurring for a long time and building up, which is that through the pipeline with the talent, if you think of talent moving up, that talent has been like falling out of the pipeline because of cultural issues, because of microaggressions and bias and headwinds and, you know, not seeing any role models that look like you and sort of the sort of running the gauntlet of the pipeline, you get to these points where you're like, well, I'm being recruited or I really want to start my own business because I, you know, I'm just tired. I'm tired of fighting every day to be here and be the only and be the spokesperson and always be the one that everybody turns to in the room to say, oh, Jennifer, like you're the woman, you know, what should we, how can we fix our lack of women at this level? <laughs> so, you know, it's tiring, it's frustrating. Uh, there's no ownership, true ownership amongst people that have power of this, of this problem. You know, it's like, oh, it's the diversity team's job or, oh, it's the women's job to fix. Or, you know, it's just, I think we'll look back at this time and say like, why did we, why did we um, put all the burden for change on those of us that are least represented with the least power in the equation? It makes absolutely no sense. Mm. Um, that's what needs to change. I mean, we need to include people. I'm not, not yeah. at all saying like run off and solve the problem yourself because unfortunately people that look like you and I, we don't have all the answers around solving the lack of, of diverse ethnicities and organizations, for example. Right. So, but the, but the responsibility and the accountability and the workload and the labor that has been done by people to make their workplace better on their spare time, you know, it's lovely. It's amazing. I was that person, I'm LGBTQ, you know, and I was that person that tried to make my company better on the side of my desk all the time, you know, and that's happening and that's, that's labor. There's a, there's an economic value to it. And there's also a cost to it, right? But that has been happening because people desperately want their employer to be better. And they want to work for a place where they have a hand in making it better. Mm. But that doesn't mean that that's their sole responsibility or even appropriate. And they don't have the organizational um, connections typically to drive change. The only people that have those are the people with power. And you know, we need to, we need to involve that group. So I think what's changing now, I hope is, and I'm trying to keep that focus on is like who, yeah. Who's the messenger for this work? Who's the ambassador for this work? Who's going to be signing the change? And who's going to be championing it from the top so that people will listen and take it seriously and so that it will last? 
Yeah, that that message is so important. And uh, as you're talking about this, it's it making me think of, and you're the expert here, forgive me if I get this wrong, but I think it's important a lot of times for companies to understand this important difference between, say, focusing on diversity versus you know inclusion. And there has been a focus on diversity for a long time, and let's get more people in from diverse backgrounds. But if there's not an inclusive culture, they're not moving up, they're not feeling they're, they're comfortable. And it reminds me that, of course, you can look at some numbers and say, you know, hey, more women graduate from college now than men and are entering the workforce at the bottom level, but that bottom frontline level does not look anything like the top where it's more straight white men, like you mentioned. That's right. And that gets back to your question, not built by and for us. And so if you just look at gender disparities and then you back into that and say, well, why? It's that workplaces have not truly grasped the importance of life stages and parenting and family needs and flex and all the creative ways that if we really wanted all kinds of parents to be in our workplace, we would have revisited a lot of these policies, but we're still running these companies like we were like it seems like decades ago, you know, and I just, I fail to understand why people can say this is a gender parity is a, is a priority, but then the organizational behavior is so different. So it, to me, it's still kind of is, is and, and the proof is in the results, which is that we actually are not diversifying the pipeline in any real way. I mean, these numbers continue to not budge in terms of representation. Um, and you brought up the difference between diversity and inclusion. It's really important. Diversity is the who. It's who's around the table. It's who's in the organization. It's, it's um, demographics, right? Um, remember, visible and invisible. So a lot of times people in the LGBTQ community and also people with disabilities are not visible and nor do we make ourselves visible because we don't trust the organization with our data. <laughs> so uh, there's that's a whole other thing if you wanna get into that about why. Uh, so that's diversity is the who and the representation and that matters, very important. But inclusion is the how, like, so we get people in the door, but can we keep them? And that becomes about that day-to-day -day lived experience, the things you hear in the hallway, the virtual hallway now. Um, it's how you are validated, how you're re rewarded, recognized, promoted, sponsored, uh, compensated. You know, it's, it's those death by a thousand cuts, I call it, that kind of sneaks up on you particularly in really progressive organizations who talk a really good game and yet really haven't kind of done the hard work of going through every single people management process and like looking for inequities and fixing them, not just band-aiding them, but fixing them at the root so that they don't occur again. Um, that's the hard work. And it's hard, it's hard because it's hard to see sometimes because we're so, we love to believe that our organizations are very enlightened. We love to drink our own Kool-Aid. We love to think I'm a great leader. I, I have daughters, you know, of course I'm a champion for gender. I would never be a part of an organization that didn't do this well. And then I as the consultant and my team come in and get all this pay, you know, pay data and promotion advancement and you show somebody their the true story and it's horrifying and, you know, disappointing and there's a lot of shame and, you know, so the danger of believing that we are good people and therefore things are good around us, if particularly if they are comfortable for us, that is a trap. And um, I've been saying this forever and now more than ever, we've got to get out of our own experience, our own lens and understand that in the exact same organization, somebody else is having a radically different experience. We've got to hear that, believe it the first time, take it on board and take accountability for it 
and then address it and then track it and measure how we're addressing it to make sure that it's being eradicated or changed permanently. That whole thing has to happen. And that's a long journey for a lot of people who think I'm a good person. I don't mean any harm. I don't see color. We treat everybody the same. <laughs> no, please do not. By the way, never say I don't see color. Yeah. Never say it. Just don't, don't erase people's differential experiences because they are different and they are usually not equal and people who have privilege of any kind are the ones that need to take on the mantle to change it. Powerful stuff. And uh, I, I think, you know, for me and many others, uh, that was a big wake up call from the death of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and social justice movement is that, you know, the whole, I don't see color, that didn't work. And that was marginalizing. And, you know, we, we absolutely need to shift our mindsets and our language and our terminology. Uh, so you're talking about organizations, you know, some have not done anything, right? And then there are many that are taking some actions. And what you're talking about is the danger of thinking, oh, we've got this figured out when they probably mm -hmm. don't. What are some big mistakes that you see companies or leaders making um, during this movement? Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing that's pernicious and has been going on forever, it's not recent, is um, that unconscious bias training fixes everything. Training is not strategy. It's a part of a strategy, training and learning and behavior change. It needs to be a part of, but the overall strategy, I don't care how big your company is or small it is these days. The exciting thing is we're getting called more and more by smaller companies. And by small, I mean 100, 200, 300 people. We never saw that before this summer because they just, they were barely getting by with HR. And so now we're seeing this sort of hygiene of an organization needing to include DEI, which is really exciting. They often don't have as much budget, which I would like to see, but um, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. So, um, so basically the train, this mistake of assuming unconscious bias training, which is usually actually a scientific training. It's more about our biases and why we're wired the cer certain ways and socialized in ways we are and how we're sort of blind to them, hence unconscious, usually sometimes they're conscious biases too. Um, and sometimes they're microaggressions, which are really tough to see, particularly if you're not on the receiving end of them in, in, um, often or ever for some of us, we don't know what they look like and sound like, right? But unconscious bias trainings just don't address, I think, behavior change. They tackle the sort of intellectual argument for why we're biased, but it leaves the whole leadership conversation. So then what? Usually it, it leaves it off the table. And then the accountability, of course, that has to come from training needs to be there, which is the expectation of behavior change and the tracking of behavior change, which is and yet another challenge, because I think it's hard to catch people in those sort of day-to-day -day moments. How do, we, how do we give people nudges? How do we get feedback right away? Wouldn't that be great, right? If we could say, oh my goodness, I just said a microaggression and they didn't even know. This is why we have to have courage with each other, you know, to be able to say, take somebody's side and say, hey, I heard you say that in a meeting. I just wanted to point this out. Or I, heard, I saw you do this and I just wanted to let you know how that might have affected someone. Yeah, because we'll never know without the feedback. That's right. And, and so I think we as allies and accomplices especially need to activate. We really need to learn what those look like, know when we hear them and take action. Because it's easier for some of us when we are not in the impacted group to activate as allies and accomplices to have those conversations, right? So that somebody who's already very fatigued from having those conversations, frankly, and giving that kind of feedback, let's give somebody a break for a minute and 
like make it our job to notice those things, right? Our job to be vigilant. If I, I walk into a room and I notice that there's a certain bunch of identities that aren't represented, am I going to say something? Who am I going to say something to? When? You know, I have all those choices, uh, but I do need to do something, see something, say something, right? So we've got to work on our own um, sort of catalog or library of, just to pick one example, microaggressions. We should know what those are for LGBTQ people, for black and brown people, for and specific to each ethnicity, because there's different ones for different groups, not to like make it feel overwhelming, but you should know, I should be able to stop somebody in, you know, who's a leader and considers themselves to be a rather inclusive leader to say, what are the top five microaggressions that an LGBTQ person hears? What are the top ones for a black woman? What are the top ones for Asian talent? Um, what are what are they for people with disabilities? That to me is baseline for good leadership. It just is. You gotta you gotta know it when you hear it and see it, and you gotta do something about it. And that's a leader's job, and it's also a colleague's job. It doesn't need to be the manager in the room. It doesn't need to be the stripes, as we say. It needs to be all of our jobs to be vigilant about that, to eradicate it, and not leave it to the person who's on the receiving end to be this squeaky wheel which by the way, like is exhausting and worse career limiting. It's yep. been shown to continue to, to draw attention to your difference is not, is not something you signed up for and it's tiring, but it also, I think Im negatively impacts your professional image after a while. You know, you can't always be the one that's like, you know, that's a microaggression. That's a microaggression. I didn't appreciate that. Like I have, I have to give you feedback. Like, <laughs> How can you do your job if it's every single day bad. you're also trained? Yeah. Right yeah, exactly. And you don't always want to be the teacher and you also can't speak for an entire group of people. Hmm. Hmm. It's, it's very important and interesting things to think about and leaders understanding what are those microaggressions that people might face so they can call that out. Um, we all have to be able to call that out. And I wanted to give you credit. I think when I asked you if you would speak on the summit, you asked me, well, you know, what group are, do you have different groups represented? Do you have a diverse group of speakers? And I went, oh, I've been, I've been trying to pay attention to that. I hope that's the case. And, uh, you know, I guess past your, past your approval, but uh, you are asking those questions. Not many other speakers are. And so mm. you are changing the game by asking those questions and causing organizers like me to think about it. That's a big one. That is really a big one. When you get to our level and you and I speak all the time and we have a, um, a platform mm. and we, that comes with responsibility. And um, you might not think it's your job to bring things up or you might just um, hope it goes away or ignore it or not even notice it. But really it is incumbent on when you're in a room and maybe the room looks like you, but when you're in that room, if you're the one, it's easy, even more powerful if that room looks like you, to be the one that raises the hand and says, hold on, like before we go any further, I just want to point out there's like no women in this team mm. or in this candidate slate that, slate that we're evaluating. I wanted to point out the lack of these identities. You know, how did that happen? And then it's not just a sort of check the box. Okay, phew, I brought it up. <laughs> My job is done. It's sort of partially done. I mean, it's better than nothing, but I think then you got to see it through and say, well, why? Like, how did that happen? And that to me, that's a systems question. That's a really helpful question to say, like, if you had come back to me and said, well, gee, I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me. And then now I'm looking and I don't see a lot of diversity. 
um, which you luckily you, you had and you, you thought about it, but our networks look like us and we draw from these pools that are very homogeneous where people were comfortable with. And we've got to, before we are asked to put someone forward or ask somebody to invite somebody, we've got to be investing in the diversity of our networks, both at, in our professional spheres and in our personal lives, which actually tend to be even less, less diverse. So be ready. I'm always ready, not just to even evaluate the faces in an event, but to suggest. And even to then recuse myself and replace me with someone else of a different identity if I, my identity is overrepresented. So to me, that sort of, that's the closing of the loop if you wanna follow it all the way through, is to give your, give your seat, give your spot, and have a wonderful person ready to go um, who's going to blossom in that, in that spotlight um, and to share what I call social capital and professional capital. Those of us who have any kind of capital, I consider those kinds of capital privilege too. So we often th think about privilege and we think white privilege. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a very simplistic, it's one of many. And I think that um, voice and market share and authority is a kind of privilege. And who you join that with and you vouch for can change outcomes in a really concrete way. So I'm constantly thinking about what was the point of building everything that I've worked so hard to build if I couldn't turn around and say, and put it into play for somebody else? Like that's, to me, that makes total sense. Um, and I wish more of us did it and we need to do it. We need to do that more than anything, almost anything else. We need to create sponsorship dynamics in our organizations where people with power are sponsoring underrepresented, underestimated talent up the pipeline and keeping them in that in that in that pipeline long enough that they get to the c-suite long enough that they start to change the demographics of organizations and mastheads and and sort of the leadership level and c-suite if you will um because at some level it's not about your technical skills it's about your relationships and it's about who who is championing you and that's a that's a game that a lot of us are not privy to so that's got to be something that is more formalized. And I would like to see accountability for doing that amongst executives as just part of job description. Yeah, it's not talked about enough. I mean, so much of success in companies and organizations is based on your reputation and your network. And like mm -hmm. you said, your network mm -hmm. often looks like you. Um, to be able to step up and say, my group is, is rep overrepresented. I'm going to put someone else in my place is the ultimate um, of, you know, kind of putting the group ahead of your own ego. I think that's a great, a great suggestion. What do you see the, you work with a lot of organizations. What are the best, you know, the role model, the most progressive organizations doing right now to be part of the solution? Yeah. Well, they um, listening, listening sessions, listening tours, lots of listening. <laughs> Lots. I mean, there can never be enough um, in action on, and on, based on what's heard, right? Those are two sides of the coin. Don't ask if you're not going to take action um, because then it just breaks trust yet again. Um, so it's the courageous leaders that are being humble, that aren't uh, feeling defensive about what they're hearing when they do listening um, and are saying, you know, right away, not sort of being fragile about it. Oh my goodness, you know, my ego's bruised or I thought I was a good person or whatever. You can just get wrapped around the axle with that kind of stuff. Listen, leave it the first time, take action, report back, 
to those who gave you the feedback about what you've done. Check in to say, is it working? Is it having the, remember, intent versus impact. Is it having the desired impact? We can intend all we want. The problem is our intentions are through our lenses, which are limited. So you got a total evaluation coming from the end user, consumer, employee, fill in the blank. Um, so the organizations that are constantly performing this hygiene and have these like very sort of rapid feedback loops and are very agile and flexible right now to institute new holidays, say, uh, to do pay analysis and you know gap analysis and addressing it, um, who are setting goals and targets for representation maybe for the first time, who are going beyond unconscious bias training to think about like, how do we actually build in behavior change and track it? Like, what does that look like? Getting really specific on um, competencies, weaving inclusive leadership competencies into your performance management system and defining not just diversity metrics, i.e. like, who did you recruit to your team? Who did you promote this year, right? What does that mix look like? And setting goals around that. Um, but also the inclusive inclusive leader goals, meaning the sort of more what's in the culture, which is a little bit harder to measure. Usually employee engagement surveys get at some of that. But what you've got to do is you've got to be able to slice that information by identity. And that's where you really start to see interesting differences that you can then talk about addressing and hopefully be very public about it. I think the, the public accountability is um, that's probably the bravest thing I ever see. It's not just in, if it's internal public to your employees, great. If it's public externally, that's really brave. You better be ready to do the work if you're going to declare that you have, here's our numbers and here's where we're going to be next year. And I'm like, oh, are you ready? Like, do you have the wherewithal and the discipline to make that happen and close that gap? Um, that's sort of where we come in. It's like, okay, let's think this through. What's realistic? What's sustainable? Because you don't just want to fix things superficially. You want the fix to last. And so what is a sustainable pace of change too for organizations? Like, I think that the, the quick and bold reaction, uh, I would almost, that's great, but I would prefer the quiet work, the, the steady work that is unheralded, that is behind the scenes and it's not glamorous and it's not easy. Uh, it's complicated, it's messy. Um, it involves undoing a lot of things organization practices that a lot of people are attached to, right? They maybe they built them, you know, maybe we've always done it this way, you know, all the usual. So you've got to have seriously courageous leaders holding people's and, and policies feet to the fire and saying like, no, this is like, we're going to change it. And, and this is why, and we're going to talk about it. And I'd also say admitting what you don't know, the best leaders right now that maybe look like you and me, it's admitting our vulnerability around like, I don't have the answers. I'm trying to figure it out. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. Here's what I'm signing up to do. Here's where I just need your feedback, um, continuing input. Here's what I'm going to set up to make sure like, this is not sort of a one-time listening, but it's sort of a general sort of process that we're introducing as a company. And here's how we're going to go forward so that, um, you know, we build this together and putting the right people at the table. And, you know, I think uh, having the lived experience of people at the table, making sure we're not making decisions for people when they're not in the room. Um, the disabilities community says nothing about us without us. And I, it always haunts me 
because even I can be the one in the room and I can find myself trying to answer a question about something, you know, and I will do my best, but I'll, I'll be saying also, this room is not representative. We do not have the right voices here. We cannot make this decision with, without the input, the creative abrasion that comes from, you know, all these different perspectives. Like that's what makes companies great. And that's what builds the next generation of great organizations. So, um, boy, that was like a long list of things, but <laughs> a lot, but a lot of great, you know, advice and ideas there and things that people can go do. Uh, you mentioned the, you know, a lot of the quick and bold, and there's a lot of that happening right now um, versus the stable, the quiet and stable. And as we record this, we're in the kind of the, I would say almost the height of a social justice movement where there's a lot going on. It's a topic of conversation everywhere. Uh, but this is work that's going to take a long time and there will be other things that come up. How do we sustain this and keep this going? Yeah, I, we got that question a lot around pride in June. There was like this, the Black Lives Movement was starting and catching fire and then we had Pride Month. I think that the, the lens we'll need to bring is actually around intersectionality, right? In the gay community, there's also the black experience. There's also the trans experience. There's, there's every kind of experience in the LGBTQ community. And that's true in every other community as well. And so I do think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I do think we can have this intersectional lens and intersectionality technically means the um, overlapping the nature of overlapping stigmatized identities. So say you're a, a black woman, you have your, your gender, which is causing certain headwinds and you have your ethnicity, which is causing headwinds and it's the overlapping of that. So we've got to, I think, rather than seeing identities in silos, which I think means we're in danger of repeating exclusion, we need to see the threads that run horizontally through all of our vertical identities and we need to come from that place. So what are those sort of global issues that impact all of us? Um, if racism impacts not just the black community, but the Asian American community, if we can think back to May, which is like ancient history, April and May, anti-Asian racism, right? Everyone was asking me like, what, are, what should we be doing to educate our workforce about this, right? And it was this like refreshing, amazing, important conversation that honestly, I can't remember ever having in the workplace ever. So um, mental health cuts across all of us, parenting cuts across all of us. Um, there are LGBTQ people in every single community. Uh, so anyway, it's just really, it's, it's, it's a moment for us to hold all these things at the same time and to whenever we have a conversation to make it representative of all these different identities and design our programming and our outreach and our cultural celebrations. You know, there are some that are unique and there are to one community, but often there's a lot, there's a lot more that's shared. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but I do, you know, we've got some intense stuff coming up in November with the election and, you know, looking at just voting rights and voter suppression. There are intersectional identities occurring with all of that and it impacts multiple communities. And I've, I know actually about some companies that are taking on um, access to voting in a really serious way because their employees of all identities are, are pushing to say, we need to take a stance on this. It is, a, it is an issue of diversity. It is, access is a diversity issue, right? Um, the nature of people's work and whether they can get to polls, the nature of who, 
who person's polling locations, you know, typically is it, is it elderly folks? Like, is that not conceivable because of COVID? Like there's, it's just like, it's, it's um, this incredible Rubik's cube, right? And it, to me, it, it touches all these issues too. So every issue we can talk about has a len- multiple lenses we can look at it through from different identities. And I think we've got to train ourselves to do that. When I speak about mental health now, I don't, I never speak about it or think about it without that lens on it. Which communities, in which communities of identity, for example, is it very, very stigmatized, for example, to seek help? That's an intersectional lens on mental health. Without, when we don't talk about it in that way, we are leaving out all this specific experience that we need to not just account for, but we need to start from that place and then build, build through the, you know, it's like the hub and the spokes, like, but start from these places. You, we often say in my work, you start with the most marginalized experience and you build from there. And it ends up including all of us versus building from the most privileged identities in each of our communities and sort of hoping that we capture and address some of the needs of those that are the least seen and heard in our communities. And that's just, it's backwards. And so we need to flip that. This is great. Um, we, we've really got to wrap things up. So one more question for you. You know, this is the Talent Development Virtual Summit. A lot of our audience uh, work in talent development, learning and development. Some are directly involved in diversity and inclusion. Some just trying to find ways to assist their colleagues or raise the, you know, the awareness or the bar. Uh, what are some ways or any advice for talent development professionals to be mm. more part of the solution, working this into some type of engagement or development, you know, programs, training programs, anything like that to, to help with DEI. Yeah. Talent development is such a critical role. Um, that's like the whole game, honestly, (laughs) it's we, and I just want to see every talent professional, like I was talking about earlier, have these lenses, um, available and have invested in learning what those are. So when you're across the table from someone and you're thinking about their professional development, that you're able to see it through these potential lenses that you may not have been familiar with before, unless you're part of one of those communities and you really understand it, right? That's our job. We, we can't see development the same. We cannot see it through the same lens for everyone because everyone's having a very different experience based on identity and bias and all those things. So, so rather than sort of avoid that conversation, my advice these days and always, but especially these days is to name it. And if somebody doesn't you know, accept the invitation to talk about that and reflect on that and it doesn't resonate, like that's okay too. Um, LGBTQ people are closeted. Half of us are closeted in the workplace. So if you come to me and you invite me to tell me about your LGBTQ, my LGBTQ experience and how it impacts my professional journey, you know, I may clam up. I may not want to speak about it. I may fear disclosing that and other people knowing it. And honestly, I'm, I, I find in our community, many of us haven't even really thought about what being LGBT means in terms of our leadership journey, which is a very, I teach classes on this. It is a very powerful conversation, actually. Similar, what, what does being a black woman have to do with my leadership journey? I mean, most women I know would say everything, like everything. And so if we're sitting there having a generic conversation, we are missing an enormous swath of value. Um, so I would say, and remember you are, your goal should be to be an ally and accomplice to people, which means that you're fluent in these topics, which means you've explored your own diversity story, what that means to you. Um, 
on a personal level that um, you kind of know how to exercise your muscle to stand up for and alongside those without a voice and that you are challenging your peers that may look like you to do more, to see more, to be more honest about what's being seen and heard and to really like, you know, run that up that flagpole, you know, to, to be a consistent sort of squeaky wheel, particularly if you are a person of organizational privilege, hierarchy privilege, um, ethnicity privilege, um, and it just goes on and on. So I would really encourage everybody. I mean, I'm a white woman, cisgender woman doing this work, and I'm constantly aware of both needing allies because there are certain elements that I can't, I get tired of speaking up about all the time. And it's just such a relief to have somebody else doing that. But I also know like I, I've got to be using my voice in rooms where I will be listened to and I will be trusted and I won't be questioned as much and things will have a different impact. And I, do I agree that that's right? No, but it's absolutely working with the system to use what I can to shed light and to apply pressure. And so I think that all of these ancillary functions, talent management, HR, um, org development, if you have that, um, recruiting, um, corporate social responsibility, um, it touches, DNI touches so many of these functions and these should be sort of deep and constant relationships that we have between these silos so that we can make sure we're coordinating and we're learning from each other. Absolutely. Uh, such great advice in there and so much value in this conversation. I'm just looking back at my notes to give a quick recap of everything that we covered so far. Uh, we talked about the state of DEI and how things have changed in 2020, how conversations changed as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement and social justice movements, uh, the modern corporation and how and why that, you know, that was created for straight white men and you know, what we can do about that to represent more people. Uh, we talked about the lack of mirroring of diversity from the external world to the inside. We talked about the difference between what you know, people look like on the bottom of the, the pyramid, the hierarchy versus the top in most companies. Uh, why women and people from under, underrepresented groups don't often move up the corporate ladder because the, the opportunities are not equal. Um, we talked about the, diversity, the difference between diversity and inclusion. Um, the mistake of thinking that unconscious bias training will fix all things, that training is not strategy. Um, why leaders need to know what microaggressions uh, affect certain groups and how we can all call those out and not rely on just those people to call out the aggressions against them. Um, having people in power mentor people from underrepresented groups, great suggestion. Uh, what the best organizations are doing to improve DEI, the most courageous leaders and how they are listening with humility, um, the difference between intent versus impact, uh, the importance of public accountability, um, we talked about that, you know, the difference on types of actions people can take, uh, what the best leaders are doing, uh, how to sustain the current movement, um, the importance of starting with the most marginalized experience and then building from there, and then how talent development can get involved. And as I'm recapping this, a cat butt just went by. <laughs> so <laughs> we're involving Co-worker. everyone in this. She agrees. She uh, agrees. Jennifer, this has been fantastic. Anything else you would add and where can people go if they want to find out more or get more information about the work you do? Yes, I would love that. Thank you. Um, so Jennifer Brown Consulting, uh, you can get information there about our DEI courses. So we have some online courses that can either help you get started with the work um, we also have more advanced courses for more practitioners, meaning like, okay, now it's my job to lead this work. What do I do? And that's like a really amazing course. Um, 
in lieu of, I think, working with our consulting team, which is the best thing, I think, because then you've got an advisor kind of walking with you. Um, so we have those in, that information on Jennifer Brown Consulting. I have a podcast called The Will to Change, and so I often point people to that to learn. We have a uh, community call that you will see on jenniferbrownconsulting.com every week, Thursdays at noon Eastern, and that's a wonderful place to connect with other passionate advocates um, and listen to guest speakers that I have on who are experts who I learn from and I'm inspired by every single day and to also just shore ourselves up because this is really hard work and we got to kind of hang together. Um, and then I'm in social media all the time, uh, Twitter at Jennifer Brown, Instagram at Jennifer Brown Speaks, LinkedIn, Facebook, the usual. And um, my books too. So first book is called Inclusion from 2017. Second book, uh, How to Be an Inclusive Leader was 2019 last year. And actually a lot of companies are running book clubs around both of these books. So we've got some cool um, like kits that we provide, like discussion guides and things like that. So reach out to us at info at Jennifer Brown Consulting for that. And then we also have an inclusive leader assessment, um, which is free, takes 10 minutes. Um, you'll find it on jenniferbrownconsulting.com and also in the book. And um, I often recommend you've got to know where you are in order to progress. And we're all at different places in the journey. And so that's yet another kind of tool in your toolkit of self-understanding and you know, equipping you with that um, sort of real view of yourself versus that sort of ideal view uh, and then uh, launches you on your, on your humble journey forward. So thank you. This has been so great, Andy. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for coming on. So many great resources. Thank you for coming on and sharing such amazing value and wisdom. This has been like a masterclass on DEI. And I know there's so much more we could talk about. We do have to cut it off here. And for those of you who have been tuning in, if you're watching, if you're listening, thank you so much for being here, for being present. I hope you took a lot of notes. Uh, you may want to watch or listen to this again. Remember, write down what are those one or two key takeaways, those things that you want to go take action on, do differently. Maybe it's you know having more of those conversations, speaking up, um, making more of a difference in your organization in the different ways that Jennifer talked about. Uh, but make sure that you do take some action on this uh, to make it worth your time and our time as well. And remember that there has never been a more important time to work in talent development. You absolutely have the opportunity to be the hero in your organization's journey. And for all the people that we are talking about out there, the opportunity has never been bigger. So make sure you take action on that. Again, my name is Andy Storch. Thank you again for being here with us. And we'll see you on the next session. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.